Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning has gone completely virtual. We've taken both our Level 1 and Level 2 courses and loaded them onto an online platform so that you can digest the power of this amazing operating system from the comfort of your home. We combine this recorded video experience with live Zoom labs to bring all the principles and practices of reconditioning to life through applied case study. In turn, you walk away with how to best use this language of common practice to bring the worlds of therapy and performance together in one powerful approach that creates lasting change in your client's performance. This fall, ReconditioningHQ.com is launching a complete experience package that brings all of the video teachings together with a powerful mentorship program and a weekly community touchpoint so you can grow as the reconditioning revolution grows. We are truly excited about the possibilities. We believe that success in any venture begins with the right mindset. We know that the statistics for burnout in human performance are significant and that many of our colleagues face questions every day about personal fulfillment and living their best life. This is why we've started a landmark program for human performance professionals called Empower You. This program is all about crafting your best life, living purposefully and enjoying the fruits of your impassioned labor. We start our next quarter in September and we'd love to have you along for the ride. For more information about reconditioning courses or our amazing Empower You program, head over to ReconditioningHQ.com and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 Canadian off the program of your choice. Understatement alert, for sports performance coaches and proactive healthcare professionals, the last six months have been very challenging. We are now seeing the permanent changes in our profession, how our services are delivered, are affected, and we must adapt. Providing safe and effective health and fitness coaching has never been more needed, yet never been more uncertain. Matrix Fitness Canada wants to help you in your journey. Matrix Fitness is a premier brand of fitness equipment designed for organizations, professionals, and exercisers alike. If you are refreshing your facility, they can help. If you are in need of setting up clients with their home gym space, they can help. The Matrix Fitness Canada Ambassador Program is designed to help you expand the reach of your services. This program supports your expertise in supporting home gym design so your clients can have what they need to continue to subscribe to your services. The best part? You can insert yourself into the economic equation as a Matrix Fitness Canada Ambassador. For more information on requirements to qualify and the details around their services, please connect with Nikki.Turner at jhtcanada.com. Welcome to our newest Leave Your Mark sponsor, Rep Performance. Rep Performance is a web application founded by NHLers Nick Foligno and his strength and conditioning coach, Callan McGibbon. Understanding the importance of the developmental stages and their impact on long-term athlete development, they launched an online performance for coaches, trainers, or teachers that would instill a foundation of fitness, share their story, and help them ensure no athlete slips through the cracks and they are equipped to succeed in sport and life. Visit them at repperformanceapp.com. 
Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Connor, Connor Carrick. Connor is a U.S.-born professional hockey player who currently competes for the New Jersey Devils. He was selected in the fifth round, 137th of the 12, 2012 NHL entry draft by the Washington Capitals. Connor is a defenseman and a product of the Chicago hockey system. He was drafted to play junior hockey in the OHL with the Guelph Storm. Declined to play, he chose to instead play for the U.S. National Development Program and won a gold medal with the U18 team in 2013. He was consequently traded to the Plymouth Whalers and played out his junior career for 68 games until he signed in Washington in 2013. He was traded from the Caps to the Maple Leafs in 2016 and then 2018 from the Leafs to the Dallas Stars. In February 2019, Connor saw his career move to the New Jersey Devils where he signed at the end of that season for two years. He currently lives in Jersey with his wife Lexi and dog Hoagie. He is also the host of the Curious Competitor podcast where true to the name Nature of the title, he dives deep into what creates a successful competitor in life and sport. I'm honored to have him on the show today. Welcome, Connor. Scott, this is awesome. Great intro. I uh, very excited. Let's get after it. What do you got? Today? Dug deep into your uh, into, <laughs> into your hockey background, but yeah, we're you're from Chicago. So how uh, how do you find yourself playing hockey? It sounds like I listened to a couple of your podcasts. It sounds like your dad is a sport maniac. So is he the guy who grabs you by the scruff of the neck and sticks you in minor hockey, or did you? He was. Kinda, yeah. Cool. He was. You and know, why? both my parents had a cool uh, sport background. So my grandparents had a company, Marilyn and John, were my grandparents' name called M and J Vending. Um, and so all things Chicago Bears, concerts, uh, White Sox, Cubs, my mom's side of the family would then. So, you know, my grandfather was hugely into sport. Uh, my mom was around it, not really into it to this day. Uh, loves it, supports us. Um, not going to break down a one-two-two or <laughs> anything for us at the dinner table. My dad was the dreamer behind it. He was the architect. we got three boys in our family. I'm the oldest of three. Uh, all of us play. Um, and there was a rink like two minutes from our house. It was really a, a, such a blessing growing up that my dad had just, you know, grown up uh, walking the ponds and things like that. And then when we had a, a recreational rink two minutes from us, it was a, it was a no brainer for him. And I started out originally didn't care for the game. My feet hurt all the time. Uh, <laughs> so that was like all my youth memories. My dad would pop me up on top of the net and retie my skates and things like that. And then once I got the proper skates, I was off and running and haven't looked back since. Why did why did he fall in love with hockey? I mean, it's not you know of the big so so called four of the United States. It's not the most popular of the four. So why does he jump into hockey, or why does he get excited about it? I think um, the nostalgia of it. I think he used to play with his older brother, and you know his older brother was ten years older than him. He'd, he'd stick him in the net in an alleyway. You know, uh, growing up in the city of Chicago where my dad's from, and I think it had to be when we were young. Cause we played baseball too growing up and it just wasn't the same. Like mm -hmm. for us, hockey was it. And I think it was just the beauty of the game, the skill. Um, I think uh, he knew, I think he had a feeling even from a young age that if we were to really try at this, it's such a coach sport, mm -hmm. the sport that you need access to. There's an exclusivity to it. Unlike mm -hmm. basketball and football where these guys, you know, are big, bad athletes. You know, you can, you can really find yourself on a basketball court, you know, all over the world, um, you know, in football and things like that. Like these guys are, are freaks. I'm five, nine, you know, and three quarters, 200 pounds. I can skate great. Uh, you know, I've always had good offensive, you know, IQ and things like that. I've learned to defend now at the NHLO, but there was a conversation when I was 
honestly really young of dream big in this sport that I don't know. I don't know if that was on purpose or intentional, mm-hmm. but it definitely, you know, we, we believe that as a family. So you said you didn't, you didn't um, love it in the beginning, but you kind of, because of your feet, but what did you fall in love with about the game o- over time? I was so competitive. Um, I wanted to be the best. I think it was, I really loved the, the puck stuff, handling a puck, shooting a puck. I love that. Um, and even in baseball, like I loved hitting. That was kind of my, you know, my thing. I was, I was a good hitter. I just love that impact of trying to hand eye, you know, there's a level of, of flow and feel. And I like that feel in my, in my body and my hands. And then as I got older, you know, I really started to work on my skating. Um, and I think, I mean, what's better now? You take two, three hard strides on the ice and rip a slap shot wide, but it sounds cool off the glass. And, you know, that's really what I, I loved. And I think it was the intensity of it. Like baseball for me was fun. But it was slow. Like my dad was dying to get me into golf. My dad's a scratch golfer growing up. It was slow. Can mm-hmm. we go to the rink? Can, can we do something? I wanted to be, I was an aggressive kid. Mm. So you're growing up in Chicago. Were you a Blackhawks fan as a kid? No, it was the dark ages. So I'm a 94 born and you couldn't find the games on TV. Mm. So if you fast forward 2001, I'm seven years old. The Colorado Avalanche have the unbelievable team that they do. The, the Devils were great. The Red Wings, I, you know, I kind of didn't know that you couldn't like all of these teams at the same time. You know, I wore 19 <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a cocky kid. I was a defenseman wearing 19, you know, which a lot of hockey fans might know. That's that's the scorer's number. But I loved Eisenman and I loved Joe Sackett. And mm-hmm. I thought I didn't realize you couldn't love them both at the time. So <laughs> I was seven years old and the playoff hockey was all I got. So how do you become a defenseman? Do you get stuck there or do you, do you find yourself there? You know, I was... Uh, I was a, a talented player always offensively, even from a young age, and played forward and D. I played both from as young as I can remember. And then I remember, for whatever reason, every team I was ever on, I played defense from probably eight on, but there was a push for me to add to the game. And I always sought that out. I was, my dad preached skill and speed from a young age. Uh, he's a little bit ahead of his time, I think, that way, and, and the way that the NHL was played and, and where it was going. It's definitely there now. The game's unbelievable now. And uh, every team I played for, there was an element of allowing me to lead the rush, allowing me to play offensively. And I used to think defense was boring. Like, I would think I played defense and I liked it in the game, but when coach wasn't looking from time to time, I'd go sneak, like, at the forward end of the one-on-one because I wanted to handle a puck. So I was always in that hybrid sort of mold, and, and I had coaches that let me do it. That's cool. You decide you're you're drafted junior in the OHL, but you decide to play and go work with the U.S. national team. Is that a hard decision for you, or is it an easy decision for you? And why did you make that decision? So when you're growing up in in the U.S., that you go to these uh, like hockey festivals or hockey camps, whatever they call them, at a state level, a regional level, and then a national level. And so I was going, I was a top player, you know, you're, Hey everyone, welcome to the top 212 players, whatever it is. They give you the speech on the first day and they kind of, at least in the American program, I was indoctrinated. Like I, all I wanted was a national team development program. They would show these highlight clips of Patrick Kane playing there and then going on to play pro and James Van Riemsdyk and all the guys that they would. And so that was a huge goal for me. Uh, the OHL, I think, always appreciated my game a little earlier. They were a little bit more hungry in the recruitment process with me. And I really, it was like the forbidden fruit. Like, I, I was really intrigued with the OHL always. 
so I had these three. I had uh, US NTDP. I was deeply passionate about as I got older. Once I learned about the OHL, when I, I didn't even know what it was until I was like 15. Mm-hmm. And I loved the way they played and the pro style. And you got to wear a visor at 16. It was kind of like this sexy route that I going all in. That's what the OHL meant to me was going all mm-hmm. in on my dream. And then I also, I slept under University of Michigan bed covers when I was growing up. So that was a big dream for me where I, <laughs> I, I eventually committed to uh, and, and didn't, I defected and, and did not go. It wasn't the right fit. And that's something that I take a lot of pride in uh, now that I look back navigating that youth junior pro jump mm-hmm. uh, was, I was always really hungry to identify fit. And that was really important for my career. Who was, who was the first coach that changed or affected you in a way that you feel influenced your career as you were younger, kind of made you see the game differently or play the game differently or, or take it more seriously in some sense. My dad was number one. There was always a conversation in our home, call it what it is, Chicago, you want to play AAA hockey, it's 10,000 bucks a year, and that's before skates and travel. And, you know, my dad could have joined any number of country clubs in, in the area to work on his golf game, which he loved, and instead we were at the rink. Mm-hmm. So there was always a conversation of like, hey, I know this game's fun. It's meant to be fun. Connor, please have fun. But we're playing, this is serious stuff. Like we're, we're playing, we're, we're playing to compete. And we're in this realm to be the best. And I took that to heart. I, if I read a story about Jonathan Taves getting up before school and shooting pucks, that's what I wanted to do. If I, you know, read about a, a training circuit that Pavel Bure did, like that's, you know, what I wanted to do. And then I was fortunate. I had uh, Larry Pedre at a young age. He was probably the first one that ever dubbed me as someone to, to dream big in this game um, and start discussing, you know, Division one is the big goal, you know, growing up and where I'm from, there isn't even talk really of the NHL. Hopefully that's changed. Um, so Larry Pedry, Darren McCluskey was another one. Uh, Nick Polis was another one, all in the Chicago uh, Fury team uh, organization. These guys were, they were hard on me. I was a, we were one of the better age groups of the organization and, and we were kind of surrounded uh, myself. I was a, a highly touted player, but we had some other big time players on our team too. And, and the owner of the rink son, uh, Dave Gust actually played on our team. So there was always just a little bit of extra ice and, and things like that around for us. If, if we had it, uh, available. So, you know, I, I would say those couple were really helped push me at a young age, but I, mm-hmm. I had it too, though. Like I, I was not screwing around. Like I, I wanted to play in the national hockey league, mm-hmm. uh, and took it very seriously what that was going to take. When was the first time you um, you actually contemplated that that you you might actually play professional hockey or you were going to? Other than it being a dream to do it, you kind of knew this is something I can do. Probably around fourteen, fourteen. You start mm-hmm. going to these U.S. development camps and you start to realize that. You know, some of these guys that go on NHL careers don't just come out of nowhere. There are top players that fell off, and I remember those names well, guys that, you know, the common hockey fan wouldn't know because, you know, they fizzled out at junior or didn't play well in Division One, whatever. Um, and then at the U.S. team, I would uh, – you knew for sure. Once you were in that realm and, and you know, I, you could see it. I, I remember the first game I ever saw Steve Eisenman as a, you know, when he was down in Tampa – scouting our game, you know, and, and 
there's just a feeling that every day you're walking the rink, like talk at the time was that four or five guys on each team from the national team development program go on to have careers. And I think that number is higher now that American hockey's continue to grow stronger. Uh, so those would kind of be the beginning of the first two times where I really started to think. And the last one was I ended up getting drafted fifth round pick. I wasn't thrilled about that. You know, I was taken a little bit lower than, you know, where I had dreamt of going. And, but I went, when I went to Plymouth, I had a serious second half uh, where I really tried to solidify, started to solidify myself as a, as a real time prospect in the Washington Capitals you know, vocalize that. And, you know, I followed it up at development camp. I followed it up at the world junior. And that last summer before I went pro was just an avalanche of opportunity. I was doing really well. What, um, I want to unpack what you said a little bit ago when you said there's certain guys who were, you know, good players, you wouldn't know their names. They've gone on, didn't, didn't make it or whatever, but they were really good. What do you think differentiates now that you look back and you're, and knowing that you're curious and always talking to guys, um, what differentiates the guy who who makes it and doesn't make it in, in in your viewpoint at this point? Is there one, two, three things that you know change the, the, sure the course? Are. I think you have to be projecting out where the game is going and start to do your work ahead of time. So, for example, I'm a good defenseman. I've got over you know 200 NHL games. I want a thousand. Um, you know, plus, and I know with how fast this game is going, like every day I go to the rink, it's skating. Like I, I would be identified as a good skater. I don't skate like Scott Niedermeyer, but I imagine, you know, similar to, you know, kind of back in the day, your elite defensemen were really good skaters. I think that's just going to be the norm mm-hmm. here so soon. You know, with the way that the Miro Iskins are skating, the Kale McCars, like the next generation is watching those guys. Like Eric Carlson is was the guy that I watched, you know, growing up. Mike Green. Those guys, and God bless, like they're unbelievable players. Some of my favorite of all, of all time, you know, and just some of the seasons they had. But compared to some of this next generation skater, uh, that's a big one. So I think you got to stay curious about what's next and, and what are my strengths and weaknesses and what's a non-negotiable for what's mm. next. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big one. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's cliche. A lot of the guys that fizzle out don't seem to be great team guys. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's not coached enough. It's not, you don't have, you don't have your teamwork coach. You know, you have your skating coach, you have your skills coach. You don't have your teamwork coach, you know? Right. right. And when I, when I look back, like it was, the guys were kind of famous for it. You know, you knew this guy, you know, team hopped every year. He wasn't a great leader. He, you know, super selfish. He was a, he was a point rat or whatever, that kind of thing. And then if I had to say, honestly, the third, the first thing that comes to mind is guys just peaked too early. Hmm. And I think that eliminated their ability to have to, to, that took from them the opportunity to really learn how to play the game and really have to get creative of like, what do I do well, strengths and weaknesses wise, and and how can I bring this to the next level? Because they were just so big and fast that they skated by everybody, and they didn't have to learn how to take contact. They would just blow, you know, the other fifteen year olds over. Um, and now that I look back, I kind of like was on the puberty track, like at the right time where I got to learn the game. Uh, but I grew early enough that I was able to play against men at an early age. Hmm. 
I really like what you said there about not not having the team the team program or the education around that. And it's funny because um, having come in myself in the league to work in the league um, back in the in the late nineties, there was this kind of transition from what I would call the old guard to a newer guard. And the league was changing, the money was changing, all these kinds of things. And you always had these stories from the older guys about, you know, the team culture and how that defined being a team player. And that changed over the two thousands and now into your generation in some sense. So how does now now's generation of players know how to be a team guy? And, and if you're talking to a guy, a young guy who's coming in now, what are, how are you setting that table for them? What it is to be on a team and to be a part of a, a team at this point. You know, what I think of in the NHL now, number one of the first things that I ever did or, or something that I try to do is who are the guys that overstay their skill set? Like, who are the guys that somehow you thought they were done at 400 games and when they're done, they've got 650, 700, or the guys that every year playoff teams are looking to acquire? They're team based guys. They're guys that understand it's going to take whatever role it's going to take to go win. And, you know, as a player, you're not really in charge of that. They pay a coach, you know, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something I always wanted to do was I wanted, uh, I'm not a fan of potential. I have no interest in potential. I want to be, I want to max out. I, I want to know that when I'm done, there wasn't a game left to be had. Like I, they had to shoo me out the door. And then I think, you know, just with today, it's still the old school guy, like these GMs and, and people that were brought up in that realm still speak this language. So you got to play by their rules. They're the decision makers. Mm. So if it's not something that is naturally ingrained in you, you got to figure it out just as you would these other, you know, skills that we talk about in the game. And then I think what's cool about our sport is maybe some things are different in the new guard and the old guard. And, and part of me does, I saw it. I saw the old guard a little bit. And when I look back, it's because the older player was fearful. They didn't want me to take their job. Like guys that were hard on me or, or, or not, or not nice to me. Cause I had a little bit of that. So when I think of old guard, I think of like deep reverence for team, uh, deep reverence for culture. This is how we do it. No, you're not getting off the ice before our 39 year old hall of fame center. You're just not doing it. I res- I respect that, but I also know the whole, I don't want to call it hazing, but you know, not getting the invite to dinner, not cozying up to these guys. Like I had a little bit of that earlier in my career because guys were, were scared. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, flat out as a human, like nothing robs you or me of my brilliance and, and my skill set, like fear, whether that's on the ice third period after a turnover or, you know, being myself in a room. Mm. I was listening to you uh, talking to Dr. Mark Bubbs. Uh, you had him on your podcast, which uh, Mark's actually coming on my podcast in a couple of weeks, and I was on his a little while ago. Nice, nice man. Um, you were talking about you know mindset and a few different things. I'm I first want to ask out of curiosity, and I love the name of your podcast. Why are you so curious? I was always that kid. I there's no stone I'll look under. Like I'm always. You know, I think everyone's got this hamster in their head that's running on the wheel. Like mine's got a serious clip to it. And, and he likes to run and go and go and go and go. 
and that's just how I am. And I think what was cool was very early on in my career, I was uh, introduced to some people, some skating coaches, some strength coaches, and they they took apart everything I thought I knew, mm-hmm. which was really nothing. But yeah, I'm, I'm talking like 15, 16, 17, right? And I was like, oh my God, these people are able to teach me about glide platform and posture and all these different elements of skating where all I knew was like bend your knees and extend like long stride. Like that was the extent of my skating knowledge and so much more complex than that, you know, as we know. And so I think that forced me to have an open mind. And then one of the, uh, the other reasons I'm so curious, I think was I'm a little bit, I don't know if the, if frustrated is the word, like I always thought that I was going to reach the NHL someday and the perfect way to like live, sleep, train would be like, Oh, oh, here we have the answer. Mm. This is the answer. That doesn't exist necessarily. So like I'm in search of the answer, well aware of it may not exist and it may change by the time I find it. And it may not always be the answer. So I don't Mm. know. I, uh, I was always this way. What are what are a few um, interesting things that, since the beginning of your career, have really changed in terms of your belief system and how you prepare yourself, what you do, that you kind of biased towards when you started and now have completely changed or have modified significantly because of the things you've learned? It's like one classic. I'm, I'm learning it right now. Like I wear my aura ring and the body metrics and the, you know, sport analytics, the tech and things like that can give us some clues and some answers. One of the things I used to think when I was a kid, and by kid, I mean maybe 19 year old pro, I'd get out on the ice. I don't feel like I have any jump today. I, I just was like convinced my skates weren't tied right. Or like it, it, my, my gears not fit me right. I feel uncomfortable today. And now that I'm older and I've, I've done more training, like, no, it's because your nervous system's struggling to handle the load right now. Like you got to recover or you got to eat good. Like you got to sleep 12 friggin' hours tonight, whatever it is. Um, so I think what else skating for sure. I think, uh, that's just an art that I'm obsessed with. And like my big goal right now is to play with more ankle flexion. Interestingly enough, like the way that I grew up, I always wore an eight D uh, which is a skate that is far too long and nowhere near as wide as it needs to be. So, like, I would not tie any of the eyelets until I get up to the top two, and then I would cinch them tight so they'd almost kiss. And I was skating, and basically it was like a cast, like a ski boot. There was no such thing as ankle flexion. Like, all the rotation came from my hip. And I found I could play offensively like this, and I loved it. Uh, it felt very stable. My head wouldn't move a lot, you know, vertically, like, uh, in space. Um, some of the best offensive players in the world, you know, kind of skate like, like Leon Dreisaitl's a heel skater. Like he's got that real tight Philip Forsberg. It lets you have that steady base to make plays and stick handle from. Uh, but for like all those defensive shuffles that I have to make at the national hockey league level to go defend these guys, cause I'm not playing with the puck all night. You need some ankle mobility. So like implementing this over the last couple of years, it's brutal. It's, it was, it's not been comfortable. Um, and it, it's something I work and think about every day. I loved, um, I'm not sure whether it was in that podcast or another one I was just listening to and sort of preparing to chat with you, but you talked about uh, Patrick Kane and and the, the you were talking about the idea that if he has to think about what he's doing, he's not going to be 
able to do what he needs to do. And everything has to be autom- automatic at that point. So two things. One is, how do you make your game as automatic as possible? And number two, how do you stop yourself? Because you're inquisitive and you're curious and you're interested. So how do you not overthink things? I'm curious. About this that. is, that's a tough question. Because um, the not overthinking... So, for example, if I'm going to go during the season maybe or during the off season, I've got a free day. It's supposed to be an off day, but maybe I wake up and I feel good. And I'm going to write my own training program. My workout looks like four hours long. <laughs> like I'm going to be there all day like, because I, 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 I will not eliminate anything. So that brings me back to I know this about myself. I know that I like to say yes to too many things. Like there's these personality traits. So I've, I've got to edit. I've got to audit. And so what I think of, what are the biggest, what are the biggest, you know, return on investments out there? And, you know, I think it was, uh, I was talking about with Travis Zajac the other day, cause he's, you know, a hockey nerd like this too. And, uh, Something like the Bruce Lee quote. I think it's Bruce Lee. And it's like, I fear not the man that's tried 10,000 kicks one time. I fear the man that's tried one kick 10,000 times. And that's what I think of in hockey. Like, what are the big ticket items? Okay, all the guys that get paid a lot and play all the time, they skate good. They skate really good. They skate better than anybody else. Uh, what's another one? Well, they stay healthy every year, probably because they skate good and aren't getting hit all the time. But they're also good at, you know, taking contact and, and seeing the rank and all that. Um, you know, pucks. And, and so for me, it's about creating very clear focus uh, and just a one to two, three points. And, and for me, I'll do that with a journal. I have a little journal at the rink and I'll kind of have my off ice goals for the day um, and my on ice goals. And then something that I, I grew up with was this concept of winners do extra champions do extra, which I agree with. But what they also do is they just do the homework assignment better than everybody else. Mm. So it's like maybe the magic formula in my training session isn't the fact that as soon as it's over, I need to pick apart what we didn't do, what the strength coach didn't give me, and go do a hundred extra, you know, grind stretches or, or squat, you know, lunge pattern, whatever. Like, why don't you just have the intent of getting better more than everyone else while you're actually training? Mm. And so that for me is like extra isn't just going on the ice after and skating up and down the rink. Extra is also just being better when the lights are on, when the coach actually drew up the drill, you know, well, you don't like the drill. doesn't matter. Like just be better at that anyway, and then mm. go do what you wanted to do after. Mm. You were born April 14th, right? 13th, 1994. 13th. Okay. So it said 14th when I Wikipedia. Yeah. So I'm going to find 13th then. Our sponsor, Rep Performance, is a web application launched by co-founders Nick Foligno and Callan McGibbon. Their platform is designed for teachers and youth sport coaches with pre-designed testing templates and AI-driven workouts geared to individual needs. They aim to provide every coach the ability to develop fitness for life in the athletes of tomorrow, share their story, and help them ensure no athlete slips through the cracks, and they are equipped to succeed in sport and life. Visit them at Rep Performance app.com today. 
Our sponsor, Matrix Fitness, produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. With equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner, Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. COVID has forced us all to rethink how we are offering our services. With that in mind, Matrix Fitness Canada has created an ambassador program designed to help you expand the reach of your services. This program supports your expertise in supporting home gym design so your clients can have what they need to continue to subscribe to your services. The best part? You can insert yourself into the economic equation as a Matrix Fitness Canada ambassador. For more information on requirements to qualify and the details around their services, please connect with Nikki.turner at jhtcanada.com. There we go. <clears throat> you are, it, this is my fun book that I bought. It's called The Day You Were Born. It combines cool. astrology with numerology that a woman from New York City wrote. wrote. And I kind of found my purpose in it. So um, you were an Aries 4. Your purpose is to be secure enough with your individuality that you can position yourself between two points of view and not lose sight of your truth. To manifest the truth in a world divided by conflict, a world that offers you both support and open hostility. The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man, George Bernard Shaw. The Aries 4 is different and everyone knows it. In fact, they are catalysts, people who affect the lives of others in a profound way. Their energy is explosive. The Aries 4 needs to remember that self-control comes from inner discipline. If they can't confront what's really bothering them, anger and frustration will build and it won't take much to set them off. Their challenge is to keep a clean inner house so they don't explode at the wrong time and at the wrong person over the wrong issue. They are attracted to tension, dispute, and the feeling of being pulled apart. The tug of war between two worlds, two religions, two strong people gets them going. The Aries 4 needs to learn to live in someone's world, but not to lose sight of their own. Friends are important to them and are from all different walks of life. Eclectic in the way they dress, their love of change often prevents commitments or stability. Living on the earth plane is a challenge. They're inventors, rebels, geniuses, and instigators. They move suddenly, and their reaction time is remarkable but they are also accident prone driven and inspired others have trouble keeping up with their pace they are either undercover or demanding maximum attention in turn until they learn to accept themselves identity can be a crisis i don't know if that sounds like any of that's awesome you know i i do have one story it's interesting um and and i'm a little into the you know We'll just classify the whole genre as, as woo. I think it's I think it's fun and, and certainly <laughs> fun to entertain. Was uh, energy is explosive, and I had this uh, I had this saying I used to write. I'd be on the road and, and I'd take the hotel pen, and if I was going to go play a hockey game, I'd say play with fire, like play with with pop, play with juice, and and I would write play with fire. That was what I would write. So anyway, I was meeting my my girlfriend wife now uh, we had just started dating and her mom uh, was kind of vetting me you know she thought i was like this playboy hockey character which is i'm not you know kind of a nerd but besides the point and she has this friend that you know says that she can sometimes see things or, or feel energies and so she asked she said you know hey this is connor introduced me unknowingly on my part so this is connor like lexi's new boyfriend my wife's name um what do you see? And she's like, 
I just, I'm just picking up like, like fire. I'm just picking up. And I was like floored. I'm like, Oh my God. I was like, I used to write on my hockey stick. Like, you know how you've been around hockey, like how close that is to guy's heart. And, uh, ever since that day, I'm like, there's something there. Uh, and there's something there. So anyway, but thanks for that. You're welcome. What's your most piece of, important piece of equipment, your skates or your stick? Skates for sure. I can play with, uh, and I've done it where I've switched brand and things like that in, in game. No problem. Um, skates for sure. Got to be dialed in. Hmm. When, so now that you're kind of really becoming more and more inquisitive of all the things that you're doing, um, what has been the biggest area of change in your, um, the, the way you prepare yourself now you talked about the aura ring, but is there something physical you've been doing differently in the last year that really, or the last two years that's really contributed to your health or physicality in some sense? I would say it's the mental side. Mm. I think that when I was a kid, I'd be in school and I'd be picturing plays here. This is a cool one. When I was a kid, I would always be, I have an anxious tick. Like I, I kind of scrunch my nose and I've always done these, you know, quirky little, you know, used to like sway my hair. Like I adjusted Bieber hairs, getting it out of my forehead. And, uh, one of them, when I was a kid, I would practice like my pitching motion. I'd be waiting in line at Panera bread with mom or whatever. I'd just be sitting there practicing it. Or if I'd be driving a car to high school and I'd pretend like I was making passes and the trees were out like, and now that I look back, like I, I put in so many reps with my nervous system visualizing like that. And now that I'm older and I'm a pro and I'm, I'm doing it every day, I, I turn it off a little bit more because I'm trying to be present for my family life, which is great. But also as an athlete, like honoring that that's worked for me, honoring that that's gotten me this far and trying to make more space for it, mm-hmm. uh, either pre-skate, you know, or, um, post skate not so much like a judgment of, of what went well and what didn't just picturing and really feeling in my hands you know or my body what it feels like to do what i want to do and mm-hmm. i think that that's uh that's where i'm at with the, the mm-hmm. holy grail that's where that's what i think it is right now so what are some of your daily uh, performance practices from a mindset perspective do you you mentioned you you journal sometimes do you do you do that for, yeah, for life as well or, yeah i do because i what i i think it's so easy sometimes as a, as a pro athlete to come home sit on the couch throw your feet up after lunch and go man that was a good day i'm tired and then you sit there until 4 four thirty, and then all of a sudden you're like well it's dinner time and after dinner it's bedtime well that's six days a week if you're an athlete so you know in the nhl we get the the day off once a week or whatever so what i try and do is just little things even if it's get in touch with this friend you know call james bonaguero tomorrow uh you know reach out to scott livingston make sure we're still on you know for the podcast or whatever that kind of thing and i find that it it keeps me in a better rhythm uh, for whatever reason, you know, I, I am a dreamer. Some of the reading that you said, like I, I am someone with my head in the clouds a little bit. And all of a sudden it'll be a month gone by and I hadn't picked up the dry cleaning. It mm-hmm. sounds crazy, but um, that's a big one. And then I would say I find the, the prep for the day very natural. I wake up with fire. I find the prep for the game. I, I saw the commercials growing up, the, you know, player walk in the stadium with the beats on and the, and the headphones and you're getting ready for the match. For me, it's it's bedtime routine. What went well today? 
what am I frankly grateful for instead of doing the mental checklist of what I didn't do, which used to be a habit of mine. And then the post game routine, because mm-hmm. no one teaches you the post game routine, you know, in pro sport. And it's so important to be able to bookmark where you're at, drop it, say, Hey, good, bad, or indifferent. This day is over. Like, I'm going to get some rest and get ready for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And in pro hockey, it's such a roller coaster. You've been around guys. It, it, if you don't have proper stress management, it'll eat you up. Mm-hmm. You were talking to Mark about sleep. Um, how how do you manage? That's the thing I found the most difficult part of working in the league was this constant sort of change of when you actually went to sleep. Um, yeah. How how have you have you found any key strategies that have helped you uh, manage your sleep better or get better quality sleep? I would say make it a priority in terms of just trying to make deposits. So anytime I can throw down a 90-minute cycle, get down. If it's a nap, go for it. Um, and then I would say no matter what, no matter what time we get in, you know, I, I, I've done it, you've done it. You get in after a game, it's 2, 3 in the morning. You just want to get off the plane and throw yourself in the bed and, and hopefully you fall asleep and get some decent sleep. I don't operate that way. Like I need to come down and brainwave. Like I need to come down and, and have a routine, brush my teeth, shower, whatever. If I don't fall asleep in the first 20 minutes. I'll get up. I'll do it again. I don't care if it's the second shower. You know, maybe it's way full of towels or I'll use the same towel, but you know, just trying to practice it really. Cause I was a poor sleeper even as a kid. And it's like anything. If you practice, you have a chance to get better. You have a good chance of getting better at it. And mm. so that's been my mentality is practice the whole sleep routine, you know, prioritize the hours. I, you know, my day starts tonight, tomorrow starts tonight for me. And that's how I always try to reverse engineer the desired outcome that I want. How is the uncertainty of COVID and what's gone on in the world uh, these last six, eight months affected you? Like, because you, you guys as hockey players, you know, your life is kind of scripted in some sense on a daily basis around practice, game, et cetera, and then it off is. season. And, and you know you, there's kind of a certainty in what it's going to be. And now there's been a fair amount of uncertainty in what that's going to be. I'm just curious how that's affected you and, and how you've managed it. I was talking about this actually with Sam Gibbs and some of the stresses early on in COVID where, you know, as NHL athletes, we're factory workers. If the factory decides to close up shop or move out of town, like we're out of a job. And what I, what I decided I was going to do was get out of my own way, which mm-hmm. is in, in, in two ways. One is I don't believe this will last forever. I do believe there'll be a hockey game I play in at some point. So I'm preparing like a dog for that day. That part's pretty automatic. I, I have no issue motivating myself. I'm not a big drinker when I'm bored. Like, you know, that's, no problem. Show up at the rank. That's on autopilot for the most part. Like it takes care of itself. Uh, the other side of it is just trying to diversify a little bit. You know, the, the podcast is a great lane for that. Maybe it monetizes, maybe it doesn't. That's not really my purpose, but generally I do believe you're able to have value to people's lives. You're able to help people. Um, money kind of flows where that energy goes kind of thing. And that was something that always gave me, a lot of anxiety. I, I didn't like the fact that there was a test coming someday, which was the test of how are you going to handle retirement that I had no preparation for. Mm. And I don't like knowing that that's out there uh, coming for me. So, you know, taking more seriously some of the relationships that I have, checking in on people, trying to really learn 
what people of wealth do uh, to diversify themselves and, and you know manage risk. Because at the end of the day, as athletes, we carry a map. Like we're we're not afraid of risk. We have a huge risk appetite, whether it's with injury, trade, career going to shit. You know, overnight that happens uh, every year to more than one guy. So for me, I think it was just I'm the head of household. Uh, my wife's expecting get out of your own way. Maybe I used to feel guilty about you know trying to have some outside interests or even dare I say like outside sources of income. Um, I'm a father now, soon to be. It's it's what's in the best interest of my family, and if anyone has judgment for me, they can. We can talk about that together, and it'll probably get violent. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we won't go there. I forgot that's not five minutes out there in the in the in the street. You know, it's not a five minute penalty for dropping the gloves of somebody off the ice. <laughs> That's assault, brother. <laughs> so, so talk about the pot. Like, why? What instigates you deciding to do a podcast, and what? Uh, what's the selfish motivation, in some sense, for doing it? I love them. I love the talk. I love story. I think it's just a beautiful art handed down from generation to generation. Like, there's nothing better than a well-told story. Uh, I really enjoy people and, and diversified conversations. Like in pro hockey, you've been around. It's it's the same shit every day. And that's beautiful, right? Like there's this total element of Kaizen and, and you'll talk about the breakout from game one to game 82 and, and, and on, you know, through the playoffs. And you'll talk about it again the next year. Uh, you're able to have my, my coach isn't reading my astrology, numerology, you know, excerpt from me on, on a Tuesday after practice. It's not happening, yeah. but it's fun. And I like to entertain these kind of things. And it was really cool kind of to go back to that reading uh, I was, I was at the time very seriously practicing saying no to more things. You know, I, I just overextend and overextend and be exhausted at the end of the day or week. And my wife was like, you know, Connor, you've been talking about this reading habit. You really want to integrate. Have you tried podcasts? Like I just started really listening to them and I love them. And I'm like, no, I don't have time for that shit. I got, you know, too much on my plate. I'm, I'm trying to do what I'm doing already. And I fell in love. I started to listen to them. I couldn't believe the resource available, the, the, the quality of professional or people that were lending their time uh, to this art form, uh, the nuance of it, how long-winded it was. I love them. And I immediately said, like, the value that I'm getting out of these podcasts is life-changing. And I want to bring that to whomever may listen to my podcast when I eventually have one. But I, I, branked it, I, I brain-banked it really shortly after this new habit and new hobby. And uh, it's been a blast ever since. Yeah. When I, I when I was reading your Twitter thing, I, I noticed that you, you know, you had something about the, you know, the mental health of, or state of mm-hmm. mental health of the athletes. One of the things that I found about podcasting and I, and I think I, I hear it in you is this, even when you're talking to your colleagues and your peers, like there's this opportunity to have a real conversation about something more than sports, gambling, that all the stuff that you, yeah. you normally talk about. And like you said, that's, there's lots of fun to that as well. Um, talk about that in a sense that you, what you've learned about your, your buddies in the game when you've interviewed them and had deep, call it deeper conversation in some sense that, it, that there's, What's the value proposition in that in some sense that the guys suddenly recognize or you've recognized in doing it for your mental health? 
you don't get this quality and flow state of conversation anywhere. It doesn't matter. If I call somebody on the phone, they're, they're doing something. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to a restaurant, the, the waiter, waitress, you know, interrupts doing their job. But, you know, even in a car ride, someone's driving, you know, mostly paying attention, but sort of not. In this, like, we're accountable to each other. Like, yeah. I'm staring at you, you're staring at me, and, and we're in this to try to produce a conversation that we learn about each other and ourselves. And I think that's what's really cool is bringing guys that maybe wouldn't always award this level of attention to the conversation. You mm. learn things that mm. it's impossible otherwise. You're just able to reach a flow state that's uncommon. Mm. So you mentioned uh, your Lexi is 23 months pregnant. What's what's in your mind about being a dad? Like now you, this is a responsibility that you're going to maybe it didn't contemplate until you found out that the test was positive or whatever. Yep. But uh, what's, where's your head at with that? I think my initial thought was I inhaled and exhaled. <laughs> like I'm a coffee fiend, like fanatic. Uh, I'm head over heels in the nutrition. I just think it's such a cool thing to learn about hockey for sure. Podcasting for sure. I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, I will probably love this child more than all of the things that I currently love. And I want to have the attention and the time for our child in a way that, you know, that it should be, you know, I think fatherhood is a, is a great responsibility and he was just exhaling, like, what a challenge coming for me and and our family. And I think that's been the conversation. How do we want to parent? What expectations do we have for our marriage? You know, with my wife and I, like, you know, what, what were things that went well when we grew up that we want to integrate? What are the things that we feel we need to learn about culturally? What are we missing as both being from, you know, we live very close to each other. What else? We're not the only ones parenting in the world in, in Chicago, Illinois, like, how do other people do it? And so for us, it's just that beginner's mind. We know nothing, and, and we're very excited. And I think uh, trying to learn as we go, I think it's been very sobering. Something that it's, we definitely have been bored, even though we're you know been sitting at home quarantined. Cause the, the thought exercise has been very provoking. What did uh, grandpa and grandma-to-be say when you told them? We told them on Father's Day. So we gave, oh, both wow. fathers, we gave both fathers a coffee mug that said, uh, recently promoted to grandpa. <laughs> and so there was a delayed response. It's a beautiful video. It was my wife's idea. And because uh, obviously both grandfathers-to-be got to read it first, and then the rest of the family kind of caught on. They're thrilled. I think they're so ecstatic. All of our family's in good health. Like, I didn't meet either of my grandfathers growing up. They had both passed, you know, early. Uh, and I'm told, you know, I felt every other day or maybe weekly as a kid how much I would have loved them or they would have loved me. And so I think we're very excited that we're able to have kids as early as we're, we're looking to, just in terms of familial age and health. I think uh, I think they're doing the same thing. I got two younger brothers. One's 24 and the other one's 19, and they both looked at each other like, what? <laughs> Connor's having a kid. Like, what are we gonna do? You know, like, what are what is that? You know, like they don't even know what to do with it yet. Um, the world will never be the same. <laughs> yeah, their world will never be the same. So they're like, I think they were like, they didn't think about how my life's gonna change. They're like, shit, our life's gonna change. Like, I'm an uncle now. That 
you know, a huge dose of responsibility. I don't think they were ready for. So, you know, we're all on our path to try and figure this out. You know, I think what's, what's rewarding. And I, I, it came up a little bit in your podcast with Sam, where he talks about the beauty of, of parents. And I thought that was, you know, one of his, he's so brilliant talking about that is similar to the training thing where you, you want to idealize if someone has all the answers, there's some perfect plan that doesn't exist. And that's kind of the beauty and grace of the whole thing. What is, uh, what is Lexi counterbalancing you or what does she bring into your world that, that balances you as a person? As an athlete, I spend an exorbitant amount of time thinking about myself. Her heart is like this beaming flashlight spotlight of who around me needs love and who around me, uh, whose day can I make better? Whereas a lot of times I'm looking in the mirror of, okay, what can I do to get better? Well, okay, you know, I didn't skate well today. I missed this pass today. Coach yelled at me. And this thought pattern is happening at dinner. Like this is six hours after the practice, you know, and you, you've been around athletes, you know, how consuming it can be. Uh, so she kind of, you know, grabs me out of outer space and brings me back and, and we're in this together. She's been with me since my first year uh, pro that we started dating right before it. She was kind of, uh, we met in high school and I, I just knew she's got a strong sense of, of character, of charity. And I think love and time for others in a way that I love and want to make time for others, but I don't do it like she does. Mm. Um, so I'm learning that, you know, every day. That's awesome. What would you um, hope that your teammates would say about you when you're not around about um, the character that you bring to the room? Really, I want them to know that I have so much love and respect for them, I think, at every level. But there's something special about reaching the pinnacle. And the guys I lace them up with every day have done that. And I respect all the work and familial sacrifice and the broken bones that's gone into that. I really just want them to know that I did everything I could to help make their career better, make the team better, uh, compete like a dog. Uh, I was trustworthy as a, as a person on the team, as a player. And if they can say those things, you know, I would be, uh, a very, very happy retiree when that day comes. Mm. Very fulfilled. I think happy is a cheap word. I would feel deeply fulfilled that that's how they felt about me. A couple of easy questions, or maybe they're harder, actually. Best best game rink in the league that you like going to? I think the United Center. I grew up you know, listening to that anthem uh, when we did go to games, because we had to go to games to see the game, uh, to see the team. And you'd, you'd listen to like the sound of the stitching up of the you know Blackhawk logo and the different things. And my first NHL game was there, so I got I got plenty of uh, love for that rink. I would say Chicago. And your favorite city to go to? Chicago's up there, but I won't I won't do the the cheap one to the easy one twice. I love going to Toronto. Um, got a lot of friends there from from playing there. I love Toronto. It's always a treat to play there. The fan base is particularly unique and in love with their team. I like going to New York too. Now that particularly I'm a devil, which are always uh big games, fired up games in New York city just has this like vibrance to it. When you, even when you're just driving to the rink, you just 
feel like the hustle of the city uh, and you're ready for a gritty game. What's ahead for you in the podcast? What's your, what's your, do you have a vision for it or a mission for it? Or are you just kind of playing it by ear? Playing it by ear. I think if I can think of my progress as a host, number one has got to stop saying, um, it's hard as can be. It's hard as can be, but sometimes I'll listen to them and I'll hear them and I'm, you know, doing the same thing I do with a, with a watching video and hockey, just scolding myself saying, Hey bud, like you got to quit doing that. Um, there it is again. Then I think if I can continue to be more and more clear about who's picking this up, who is this resonating with and, and serving the issues or problems or, or serving the dreams of that person or player. Cause I, I do have a feeling in, in a lot of my conversations, some of the research I do around the podcast, that it's generally kids around my age, like that 20 to 40 young professional range. A lot of parents of players um, and then youth players, you know, mm-hmm. so they're, they're each person, you know, can learn and, 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 take things from certain guests or from certain uh, highlights that I make as the, as the host. And then there's the infinite race to continue to be a better listener. You know, I think that every time I listen to one of my own podcasts, there's always something that I wish I dug a little deeper on or stayed longer on. And I was listening to actually a cool podcast. Never heard of uh, Esther Perel has a podcast where she does these, uh, she does couples therapy and the couple has obliged to allow for this to be produced. And Esther will pause it and she'll say, you know, there was uh, a touch on the thigh there by the wife that I missed. I wish I highlighted that in real time. And it's cool to have that. That professional critique will always be there. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's no perfect podcast. There's always something, you know, to be, to be gained. Uh, and that's what I think is the fun of it. Mm-hmm. You've had a lot of, um, perf- like, the listenership for for my podcast is a lot of people in human performance. Uh, I interview quite a few athletes as well. But one of the things that I, when I do get to the chance to chat with a, a performance athlete that I try to bring perspective to is um, how they serve you better in a sense. So, you know, you're, you're inquisitive towards, and I mean, you talked about Sam and you had Charlie on and a few other people on your podcast. How, how does, when you, when you, from an athlete's perspective, how does the performance practitioner serve you better or allow, allow you to be instigate your, your success in essence? Like if you could give them a piece of advice. I think the biggest thing is you, we both have to spend time building trust so that in times of need or push or injury, there's cohesion there, right? So for example, uh, maybe as a return to play, you know, I've, I've had surgery, you know, maybe there's a particular day where, uh, we, we haven't been skating. I broke my leg, my ankle a couple of years ago. Today's going to be your first day on the ice. You know, maybe I'm apprehensive about it. I'm going to tell you my, my skate hurts or, or this doesn't feel right. There needs to be that trust with both of us so that either two things, you know, I'm not just being soft, like trying to get out of something, which rarely the athlete is nowadays. Like guys are just so driven. 
Um, but I also need to have trust with you where you look me back in the eye and go, Connor, no, like you're ready. There's going to be an element of uncomfortability and I need you to be cool with that. Hmm. Like, bang, now I'm ready to go through a wall for myself and for you. Right. And now I've handed you the keys to the car. And I think that's always your goal, right. As, as the, um, therapist is to help the athlete help themselves, right? Like oftentimes we're these bull in a China shop, you know, we're either, you know, there's athletes that they're, they're doing too much to constantly in the weight room and they're constantly on the ice with the athlete that, Hey man, you're just kind of under training. Like you gotta, you know, you're, you're playing six to 10 minutes a night. You gotta put in some extra work. Like I know this feels like it really sucks, but you're not doing that much work. Uh, those hard conversations are really productive when there's trust. Hmm. And that takes like anything, hours and, and, and hours upon building. And uh, I'd say the why. Generally, you know, we listen to the, everyone watched the Jordan documentary, like Michael Jordan kind of didn't want it, didn't really care uh, about the why behind the exercise. He just wanted Tim Grover to tell him what to do. Kobe was totally different. Kobe loved the why. I think the modern athlete is a little bit more into the why. And I mm-hmm. think that really is just because we're more aware of the techniques we're not using. We're more aware of the other principles due to mm-hmm. podcasts, social media. You know, I think that there's just an infinite amount of information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. I, I would, I would leave it with that. That's beautiful. Well, I'll leave you the last question. If you were to bump into your 14 year old self, uh, when you just were starting to discover the possibility of playing in the national hockey league, what would you say to that little guy? Oh, man. I would say take time and make the effort to feel proud of yourself. And I've just always been a guy and a kid that it was just the next thing. There was no time spent on the highs that this game has to offer. I definitely feel the lows. I've been really sad on, on broken bones or poor games, but those highs, if you don't purposely integrate them, they're fleeting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as I'm getting older, I, I had a thought the other day and it's a, it's a certain feeling. You can't fake it. I, I was thinking about it the other day. I've been in the NHL, not the whole time, but eight years now, like next year will be my eighth year. Right, like, and, and you feel. Yeah. Now, of course, I there's a lot of failure in there. You know, where I, I think my games played should be higher. I, I, you know, was a power play quarterback growing up, and and wanted to do that at the NHL level. You know, kind of missed a couple shots there. What, are, Connor? You're in your eighth year. How cool is that? You know, I would love to tell that to my 14 year old self because that that's, takes a lot of work to, for me anyway, to learn. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Great way to finish. It was really a pleasure to spend an hour with you. You too, Scott. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good rest of your day and good luck with you too. We'll be in touch. Okay. Let me know how you want me to pump it and everything. I will do that. Send me all the goods when it's edited or whatever and happy to help. Thanks, buddy. Take care of yourself. You too, Scott. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. 
Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.